0: Our loving Father, we are truly grateful for the privilege and the opportunity now to prepare our hearts to receive the word. And we know that you have something very important, very specific, and very special to share with us. And so we pray that you'll please grant us your spirit and truly give us ears to hear. This is our prayer we do ask in Jesus' name. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 8. 1 Kings. And we're going to what chapter? Going to chapter 8. I want you to watch what the Bible says as we consider 1 Kings, chapter 8. Solomon was uh, doing the dedication for the temple. And in the midst of the prayer, there were some things that Solomon said that were very interesting. And I especially want us to take this to heart as we consider studying, Lord, what really needs to take place with us that we might be prepared to receive the rain, the latter rain, that we may be empowered to finish God's work. The Bible says in First Kings, we're looking at chapter 8. If you're there, please say amen. amen. The Bible says in First Kings 8, verse 34, Then hear thou in heaven... And forgive the what of thy people? The sin of thy people Israel. And bring them again unto the land which thou gavest unto their fathers. Now watch verse 35. When heaven is what? Heaven is shut up and there is no rain. Why was there no rain? The rest of the verse. Because they have sinned against thee. If they pray towards this place and confess thy name and turn from their sin when thou afflictest them, then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy servants and of thy people Israel, that thou teach them the good way wherein they should walk and give what? Rain upon thy land which thou hast given to thy people for an inheritance. The thing that caused the rain to not fall. The thing that caused the heavens to be shut up. It says it was because God's people were playing with something they should have never played with. And that thing was called sin. And as long as God's people were continuing to fall into sin. The Bible says there would be no rain. It was only after there was a confession of sin and there was an experience with God where there was victory over sin then God was willing to open up the heaven and let the rain fall. We, spiritually speaking, are waiting for the latter rain. The latter rain is absolutely necessary. This is the unadulterated outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. We're going to need this in order to give what we read in Revelation 18, which is called the loud cry, the mighty cry, to really point out Babylon and all of its deceptive power and force is going to require an endowment from heaven that is nothing close to natural and only that which is supernatural. And in order for us to receive that reign, God says there is a prerequisite. The people must get to a place that they no longer do the thing that has caused heaven to shut up. Now, I want you to watch this quotation with me very carefully. I want you to consider it very deeply because I know where everything is going. God has laid it out to me, son. This is what I want you to cover with the people. And so as we prepare to go through this, I am asking you, please remain in a prayerful state of mind because we're going to cover a lot. Notice, God leads his people on how? Step step. by step. He brings them up to different points, calculated to manifest what is in the heart. Now watch this. Some endure at one point, but fall off at the next. At every advanced point, the heart is what? Tested and tried how? A little closer. Oh, my brothers and sisters, you need to be praying. This is a very serious study. Sometimes we get victory at one point. But God promises, I'm going to send another test. And when that test comes, God is going to test us how? A little closer. Notice. It says, if the professed people of God find their hearts opposed to this straight work, it should convince them that they have a work to do to overcome. If they would not be spewed out of the mouth of the Lord, said the angel, God will bring his work closer and closer to test and to prove every one of his people. So can any of us escape this test? No, every single individual in this room under the sound of my voice, every single individual is going to be tested, not merely tested. We're all going to be tested closer and closer. Then it says some are willing to receive one point, but when God brings them to another testing point, they shrink from it and stand back because they find that it strikes directly at some cherished idol. You know what God is doing in these quotations we're reading thus far? He's doing what's called a cleansing work. That's the cleansing work. Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. But God cannot have a clean sanctuary until he first has a clean people. According to Leviticus 16 verses 16 to 19, the Bible makes it crystal clear that the only reason that the sanctuary got dirty was because of the transgressions of his people. And so God cannot have a clean sanctuary until he has a people that stops making it dirty. And that's you and that's me. And there's only one thing that requires cleansing from the sanctuary, and that is sin. And so what we're doing is we're not reading a process that we should fear. We are reading a process that we should praise him for it. Earlier today, Brother Michael quoted from John 15. And I don't know if you saw it when he said in verse 2, Jesus made it clear, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And then he says, every branch in me that bears not fruit, I take away. But he says, but every branch in me that bears fruit, he says, I purge it. And the purpose of the purging was so that it might bring forth more fruit. What does the word purge mean? You can literally look at John 15 and verse three. It says, now you are clean through the word which I've given to you. The word purge means to cleanse. Think about it. God actually says every branch in me that's actually bearing fruit, he says, I still cleanse it. Why does he cleanse a tree that's already bearing fruit? He says, because they still got some dirt spots on it and I want more fruit. And so, my brothers and sisters, you need to understand this is something we can thank God for. We don't need to be afraid of this. We need to say, thank you, Lord. We need to learn how to start praying. Oh, Lord, please purge me. Purge me, Father. Show me every stain on my character. Show me every blot. Show me every imperfection. Because the whole purpose of him doing it is that he can use that precious blood that is the super detergent. It has enough power to wash away sin. And so when we're reading this, don't be afraid of it. Don't be intimidated by it. Don't be afraid. Embrace it. Thank God for it. Thank you, Lord, that you'll test me even closer because you see something valuable in me. Now notice, it says, there's some cherished idols that are still in our heart. That's why he tests us closer. Then it says, here they have opportunity to see what is in their hearts that shuts out Jesus. There's some things in our hearts that's shutting out Jesus, and we're not even aware of it. I'm going to show you today some startling things. Now watch this. All of this quote comes from volume one of the testimonies, page 187. It says, they prize something higher than the truth and their hearts are not prepared to receive Jesus. Individuals are tested and proved a length of time to see if they will sacrifice their idols and heed the counsel of the true witness. If any will not be purified through obeying the truth and overcome their selfishness, their pride and evil passions, the angels of God have their charge. They are joined to their idols, Let them alone. And they pass on to their work, leaving these with their sinful traits unsubdued to the control of evil angels. That is very concerning, brothers and sisters. That's why when God shows us our plague spots, don't run from it. When he shows us this is where you're still unclean. You're very clean on this side, but you have some uncleanness on this side. When God tests us a little closer and shows us some of those plague spots, you need to say, thank you, Lord, for showing me that. Thank you, Lord, for showing me that you're trying to save me and you want to use me more powerfully. I remember telling my wife in the beginning of 2016, one of the most incredible years of my life. I told my wife, I said, honey. I said, we've been to almost 20, 30 different countries preaching the everlasting gospel. We've been all over the United States. We have done many, many things and accomplished so much. There are thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. I was told by one organization, even millions of people who have heard messages that God has given to this instrument. And I said, honey, I don't know what it is. I said, but I feel like God has not scratched the surface of what he wants to do with me. I said, I don't know why. It's like there's something he's calling me higher to. And when I think about all the trials that I went through in 2016, it was like all hell's fire broke loose on me. But God now here in the latter portion of 2018, now I get it completely. And God says, Dwayne, I was purging you because I wanted more fruit. I'm not satisfied with the fruit you've given me so far. I want more. And you will find that God wants more from you as well. And so it says... Those who come up to every point. Now watch this. This is the context of everything we're discussing. Those who come up to every point and stand how many tests? Every test and overcome be the price what it may, watch this, have heeded the counsel of the true witness and they will receive what? The latter rain and be fitted for? God. Is getting us ready. You hear me? God is getting us ready. The devil has been putting his team together for years. We see the papacy making movements for Sunday Law. We see the United States of America consistently making movements that are leading to the reunion of church and state. We see the movements of the devil trying to confuse God's people in the remnant. But God says, that's all right. God is more patient than even Satan. Satan's patient, but God is far more patient. And God is sitting back and God is saying, that's all right. I got a team that I'm putting together. And God knows, I got a team that they're responding to my voice. And oh, yes, right now, you don't really see them. Just like if I told all of you, let's go outside and let's look at the sky. And you all come outside and look at the sky. And if I said to you, aren't those stars beautiful? Many of you would say, Brother Lemon, I don't see a single star except the sun. That's the only thing I'm saying. I don't see any other one. What are you talking about? And I would say, no, put your spiritual glasses on. You see, when you look into the sky, the stars are there. You can't see them because it's daylight. But when the night comes, every star that was already there will begin to shine bright and beautiful. You see, nighttime is coming, spiritually speaking. In fact, Matthew 25 calls it midnight. And when that midnight cry comes, my brothers and sisters, there's going to be a whole bunch of stars that were already there that's going to be ready, foot, and ready to follow the master's command. And so right now we may say, oh, where are the workers? Where are the preachers and teachers and evangelists? Where are they? It seems like I'm the only one that's standing for God's present truth. And God says to us, as he said to his servant Elijah of old, I have thousands who have not bowed their knee to Baal. God is putting together an army. God is fitting a people to receive that latter rain. God is fitting a people that are preparing to go through the final crisis and actually go through translation. But it's going to be imperative that we listen carefully and receive carefully the tests that God is bringing to us right now. I used to be a bigot. And I can stand here before you and say that because it's my past life. It's not my present life. And by God's grace, it will not be my future life. But I used to be a bigot. I grew up inner city youth, urban community, black youth. And, you know, I felt Christianity was irrelevant. I felt Christianity did not meet my needs. And to make it worse, I was constantly surrounded by, uh, you know, the nation of Islam and these type of groups. You know, Malcolm X. I started to study Malcolm X so closely, he became my hero. I loved him. And I remember that I was taught by these organizations, the white man is the devil. Christianity is a white man's religion. And they would say all these different things. And I mean, they were very, very clear about it. And they would challenge me. They would say, think about it, Dwayne. In the Bible, you have a white Jesus. You have white angels. You have white patriarchs. You have white prophets. You have white apostles. He said the only black person in the Bible is a man by the name of Simon of Cyrene who was carrying Jesus cross. That book's not for us. And I used to say, you're right. And that thing made me turn away from it. So here it is. I'm growing up. I'm a bigot. And then one day, that's why I'm telling you, God is so good. He really meets you where you're at. He knew I loved Malcolm X so much that one day there was a minister who was holding a meeting 15 minutes from my house. And he had a picture where he was like this in the picture. Just had that nice little pose, you know, had his fingers like that. Malcolm X would often sit with his fingers like that on his face. And I wanted to be so much like Malcolm X that if you used to watch me sit down, you would see me doing the same exact pose. That minister got that pose going on and I'm looking at that brother and I said, man, he just looks deep. He looked like Malcolm X. And so it is, I decided, I'm going to go to this meeting. And he was teaching biblical truths from an Afrocentric perspective. He began to show the Afrocentricity in the Bible, which I did not know. I did not know that there was so much Afrocentricity in the Bible. Began to study that thing out. And before you know it, I ended up getting baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist church 26 years ago. Now, here's where it gets interesting. First four books that were given to me, Creeping Compromise, Reaping the Whirlwind, Enemy at the Gate, Answers to Difficult Bible Texts, all written by the same author, Joe Cruz. And when I got those four books, I ate those things up, man. I started studying those books. I said, these books are incredible. And because my mind was so bigoted, I thought that the only deep people on Earth were black people. Like, you can't write anything, you can't preach anything, you can't do anything unless you're black. And so, I literally said, this guy, Joe Cruz, is so deep, must be a black guy. That's what I said. Lo and behold, one day I went to bed and got up early in the morning, and then I turned on the TV and turned it on to BET, Black Entertainment Television. And when I turned on that thing, of all people, I see a white man there a Caucasian gentleman, silver hair. He's writing on a whiteboard and on that whiteboard, it says 1260, 538 to 1798. It says Revelation 12, 17. And then it says remnant. When I saw that, I said, hey, that's seven day Adventist language. I mean, I immediately picked that up and he's starting to walk through this 1260 year prophecy and connecting it with Revelation 12. And I'm listening, like, well, this is interesting. And I'm watching this white brother break down the word of God with power and clarity. And next thing you know, his name pops up on the screen Joe Cruz. When I saw that, I said, what? Joe Cruz is a white brother? No way! I mean, I was shocked. And I said, you know what? I guess God can use anybody. Amen. And next thing you know, from that day forward, all of those Acts 17 and all those quotes were all made of one blood, etc. There's neither Jew nor Greek bond, nor free male nor female. All are one in Christ. All those verses made sense. And that's how I got cured from my bigotry. Amen. And it's that man, Joe Cruz, that he wrote that book, Reaping the Whirlwind. This book had a statement in it that was very profound to me. I mean, I began to love this man, even though I never met him face to face. I would listen to him and listen to those radio programs when he was the head of Amazing Facts. And I would read almost all of his books. Eating it up. I love this man. And this is something that he said in Reaping the World One that I thought was so powerful. And I know is very appropriate for the time that we're spending together in study right now. He made this statement, the most tragic thing about the worldly state of the church, most tragic thing, he says, is that she doesn't recognize her own miserable plight. She is comfortable with the way things are going. Platitudes and generalizations roll over the ears of Laodiceans without making the tiniest impression. Books and articles have also been written about the need to repent of this loathsome attitude, which God detests, yet we see the situation almost growing worse. Why? He then says, why hasn't the message been heeded? I've analyzed many of the appeals in our publications, and they are wonderfully presented. But as I studied deeper, I discovered that almost none of them spelled out what to repent of. It was a call to repentance, but it wasn't spelling out what to repent of. He goes on to say, suddenly it became clear to me why there was little response. Those eloquent appeals to turn from sin and bring no response because Laodiceans cannot see. I said, wow. and cannot see. So here's what he says next. They are incapable of discerning sin. Vague terms like sin do not really register with them. They need to have sin. What? Defined, described and delineated. We have assumed too often that the Holy Spirit will take over and teach the details if we just provide the general appeals. The true message to Laodicea will boldly declare that sins are being committed by the church members and even by the institutions of the church. Unless these evils which bring the displeasure of God are corrected in its members, the whole church stands accountable for them. Review and Herald, December 23, 1890. The Bible is very clear on what sin is. It says in 1 John 3 and verse 4. Turn there with me. 1 John 3 and verse 4. There are many classes of us that are here. Some are very studious, some may not be. And so I want you to see what the Bible says as we look at 1 John chapter 3 and we're considering verse 4. The Bible tells us what sin is. And it is something that plays such a tremendous role in the judgment pertaining to the latter rain, pertaining to the seal of God, pertaining to salvation, The Bible says in 1 John 3 and verse 4, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth or breaketh also the law. For sin is the transgression or breaking of God's law. This is talking about the Ten Commandments, okay? There are many texts that you can look at that, Romans chapter 7, and then you connect that with verse 7, and then you look at Exodus twenty. Verses 1 through 17, specifically 17, comparing it with Romans 7 and verse 7. The Bible lets us know that it is the breaking of God's Ten Commandments that this is sin. The reason that this is important is because as we studied, we're living in the time of the antitypical Day of Atonement. We're living in a time of judgment. Because we're living in a time of judgment, what is the standard in the judgment? Go to James chapter 2. The Bible makes it very clear what the standard in the judgment is. So here it is. We're looking at the book of James, and we're going to what chapter? James, chapter 2. And I want you to see what the Bible says as we consider verses 10 through 12. James, we're going to chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. Amen. James, chapter 2, verses 10 to 12. When you get there, please say, amen. All right. The Bible says in James chapter 2, starting at verse 10, it says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law. How much of the law? The whole thing. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in how many points? One One point. He's guilty of how much? All. All. So notice that. The whole law, if you break it in even one point, we're guilty of all of it. Now he specifies which law he's talking about. He then says in verse 11, He that said do not commit adultery said also do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. Verse 12, so speak ye and so do as they that shall be what? Judged by the law of liberty. So what is it that we're going to be judged by? The law of liberty, which is none other than the law that says do not commit adultery and do not kill. That is part of the? Ten commandments. You got that. So this is literally the standard in the judgment right now. Christ Jesus in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary is doing an investigative judgment on yours and my life. And the question is, are their lives in harmony with my law? That's the standard. There's not going to be a black side of heaven. There's not going to be a white side of heaven. There's not going to be a Hispanic side and an Asian side. And there's not going to be favorites on those who are male versus female. God is not concerned with all of that. God is going to have one standard that every nation, kindred, tongue, people, and gender will all have to come face to face with. And that is the standard of his law. Is your life in harmony with my Ten Commandments? When you think of commandment number one, commandment number one says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images, do not bow down to them, do not serve them, nor worship them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Commandment number three, do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless. That does that. Oh, commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor, do all thy work. Seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. In it thou shalt not do any work. Commandment number five. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God gives you. Commandment number six. Thou shalt not kill. Commandment number seven. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Commandment number eight. Thou shalt not steal. Commandment number nine. Do not bear false witness. Don't go around telling lies. Commandment number ten. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, wife, or anything that belongs to thy neighbor. Be happy with what you have. Be content. So now, that's the Ten Commandments. This is the standard in the judgment. But the question is, how deep, really, are God's commandments? Think about it. The Bible says, I have seen an end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding what? God's commandments are very broad, very deep. So when you look at God's commandments, we need to understand they're a lot deeper than what they appear on the surface. And what God says is if you are going to receive the latter rain, if you are going to be sealed with the seal of the living God, if you are going to pass through the judgment, where your name remains and your sins are blotted out, then there must be an experience of victory over sin. But we must know what sin is. And sin is the breaking of God's ten commandments. But we need to understand those commandments are a lot deeper than we think. They're a lot deeper. And so what Jesus says is, I want you to understand the surface but you must understand you're going to have to go deeper than the surface. You see, inspiration says very clearly, mind, character, and personality, book one, page 32, paragraph four. The law of Jehovah is exceeding broad. Jesus plainly declared to his disciples that this holy law of God may be violated in even the thoughts and feelings and desires as well as in the word and it's getting deep. It's going to start getting deep. Jesus wants you and I to understand that the integrity of his law must be held intact. The world at large is trying to say to us right now God's law is void. That's why David the psalmist says it is time for thee to work, O Lord, for they have made void thy law. God must have a people that can express the integrity of God's law to show our greatest love to Jesus. You know, we can say we love Jesus all we want, but he told us how to love him. He said, if you love me, then keep my commandments. That's what I want. I'm not asking you to do a lot of the other stuff you do. People say they love God and they go and worship and make a lot of sounds and do a lot of activities. And they say, this is showing my love to God. Jesus says, listen. There is a such thing as paying attention to my love language. And Jesus' love language is keep my commandments. Out of a pure heart, keep my commandments. But he wants us to understand that those commandments are deep. And so as we prepare to go through this, my brothers and sisters, I want us to understand God wants to unfold some things to us. He wants us to pay just a bit closer attention because he's going to test us closer and still closer. You remember the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods what? Before me. How do you know when something is your God? It's very simple. What do you put before God? Who's in your life that you will sooner obey them before you will obey God? Whoever that person is, that is your God. What is it that God has told you to do that you clearly know you should be doing, but because you want to demonstrate faithfulness to someone or something else, you put that thing in front of what God has clearly said in his word. Whatever that thing is, that is your God. Now, I'm going to show you a very common God that a lot of people have in this world. Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians, the third chapter, there is a certain kind of God that a lot of people have in this world. And it may very well be that we ourselves have this God in our lives. And so it is that the Bible says in the book of what? Philippians, what chapter? Chapter 3. I want you to notice what the Bible says. In Philippians chapter 3. I want you to watch what it says as we consider verse 17 and we're going to take it down to verse 19. The Bible says in Philippians 3 starting at verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an and sample. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the what of the cross of Christ. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Is that good or is that bad? Well, that's very bad. Now, what is one of the signs that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ? It says in verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is what? Whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. What is the God that is mentioned in verse 19? There are a lot of people that will clearly know what God says when it comes to what we should and should not put within our bellies. And some of us can look clearly at the word of God. Some of us can look clearly at the spirit of prophecy if you're part of the remnant family. And we will look at the Bible, we'll look at the spirit of prophecy, we will clearly see what God says, and we will say, I don't care, I'm going to eat what I want to eat. When we put anything before God's instructions, that thing becomes our God. And God makes it clear for many of us, our God is our bellies. You see, God said a long time ago in Leviticus, the 11th chapter and the 11th verse, he was speaking about that which is called unclean, unfit for human consumption. And so the Bible says, they shall be even an abomination unto you, ye shall not eat of their flesh, but ye shall have their carcasses in abomination. He was speaking about things like pork, bacon, ham. He was talking about things like shrimp, lobster, crab. He was talking about things like rabbits and rodents and eels and snakes and clams. He was talking about all of these things and he was defining them as that which is unfit for human consumption. And when we study these things, when these things are presented to us, God says, I want you to pay attention to it, and I want you to take heed, like we talked about earlier, take heed, follow my instruction, and let not your will, but let my will be done. When we say, I don't care that bacon smells good, I don't care that shrimp smells good, I don't care that blank, you fill it in, smells good, I want it, and I'm going to eat it, God says, Then I need you to understand if you're putting that before what I've clearly stated and clearly called you to, then that thing becomes your God. Some of us say, Brother Lemon, well, we already responded to that. And so we don't eat the unclean. God says, all right, well, that's okay." But then God says, "But how about this one? You see. God prophesied about the condition of animals in the last days. And when God prophesied about the condition of the animal kingdom in the last days, he did not just prophesy about the condition of animals in the last days as it pertains to the unclean. God gave a prophecy in the Bible that he talked about the condition of animals in the last days pertaining to the clean. And so God began to call his people away even from the clean animals because he knew something was going to take place. Notice what inspiration says. In Hosea 3 and verse 5, the Bible says afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the what days? In the latter days. In this context, first and foremost, talking about the Assyrian kingdom, taking them captive. But then afterwards it's talking about the last days in Earth's history. Now watch this. In chapter 4 of Hosea, notice what Hosea says next. Hear the word. This is continuing the same thought because verse 5 is the last verse in in chapter 3. So it's continuing. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land because there's no truth nor mercy nor knowledge of God in the land. Do we see this today? Is there a lack of truth? Is there a lack of mercy? Is there a lack of the knowledge of God in the land? Yes, there is. How about this one? And then it says, By swearing... And lying, and killing, and stealing, and committing adultery, they break out, and blood toucheth blood. Do we see these things happening today? We see every single one of these things happening today. Watch the first word in verse 3. It says in verse 3, therefore. What does the word therefore mean? It means because of this, as a result of this. So because of all this wickedness that was happening in our world, God says, Something very important to us. Therefore, shall the land mourn, and how many people? Everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish. You know what the word languish means? To become enfeebled and diseased. It says, and everyone shall languish. Notice this, and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish. And then it says, with the, notice the first thing on the list, with the what? The Bible prophesied that in the last days, the beasts of the field are going to become enfeebled and diseased. Not just the beasts of the field, but it also says what else? With the fowls of the heavens. Not only the beasts of the field. So this is why you got, you know, your mad cow disease. Do you know chicken is the number one most contaminated meat that you and I can eat? Loaded with all sorts of different diseases. Chicken. And so it says the fowls of the heavens. And again, you can look at chicken, turkey, you can you can go ahead and put a lot on that list as it relates to the fowls. The beasts of the field, the fowls of the heavens. Now watch this. Not just the beasts of the field, not just the fowls of the heavens, but it also says, "Yea, the fishes of the sea shall also become diseased and taken away." God prophesied that in the last days, the animal kingdom is going to become more and more unfit for human consumption. He did that in love. And so while many of us boast and say, oh, I don't eat the unclean animals, but many of us are still eating the clean animals. Now go to Genesis chapter nine. Watch this. When can eating a clean animal become a sin? Notice what the Bible says. In Genesis, the ninth chapter, Genesis Chapter 9. Can eating a clean animal become a sin? Absolutely. Notice what the Bible says. In Genesis, the ninth chapter. In Genesis, chapter 9. Notice what the Bible says as we consider verses 3 and 4. The Bible says in Genesis 9, 3 and 4. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. Verse 4. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof. What are the next three words? Four words. Shall ye not eat? Was that clear? Was there any Jewish people around? Was there any Jewish people around? There was not a single Jewish person around. So this is not a Jewish law. This was something for Gentiles. God says, even if you eat the clean animal, what was it that had to be completely extracted from that animal? Blood. Blood. Now go to First Samuel 14. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Samuel 14. So is it a sin? Are you suggesting, Brother Lemon, that it's a sin? If I eat the clean animal with any of the blood still intermingled in its meat? Notice what the Bible says. 1 Samuel, we're looking at chapter 14. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 14, and I want you to watch what it says, verses 32 and 33. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 14, 32 and 33. And the people flew... Let me give you the background. The children of Israel went to war against the Philistines and King Saul had the nerve to make them fast. You don't fast and go to war. You understand that? You're going to be too weak. You get that? You're going to be too weak. You're not going to have energy. So they fasted. They went to war and they began to fight against the Philistines. What does the Bible say took place? It says in verse 32, and the people flew. Upon the spoil. So that means they defeated the Philistines, so now there's all this spoil left over. So it says the people flew upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen. Is that clean? All those clean animals? Yes, it is. They took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground, and the people did eat them with the blood. See that? What does the Bible call that in verse 33? verse 33, the Bible says, then they told Saul saying, behold, the people sin against the Lord. How do they do that? In that they eat with the blood. And he said, ye have transgressed, roll a great stone unto me this day. When we eat a clean animal with the blood still intermingled in its meat, the Bible calls it a sin. It's a sin. That's why in Jewish culture, they have something called they go through this very rigorous process with salt water they take the meat and they beat it and get all the blood out and pump it out and then after that they go ahead and prepare it to be eaten when you eat it you're going to think you're eating your belt <laughs> it is not very flavorful which is deep because that means the thing we actually really like about the chicken is not the meat it's the blood it's the blood that gives it that flavor If the doctor suspects you have cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's, or whatever, what's the test that they got to do? They got to do blood work. Why do they do blood work? Because they know that disease flows through blood. Did God prophesy that the animal kingdom in the last days was going to become diseased? And God prophesied the animal kingdom is going to become disease. And if you eat of those animals with the blood still mingled in their meat, you're sinning and you're going to make yourself sick. That's one of the great reasons why God has given this movement a message of health reform, which calls us off of that which is bad and destructive and calls us in to that which is good and healthful. It was not a message to be shunned. I told you last night that one of the fulfillments of prophecy is that many will reject God's health reform. Remember I told you that? And so God wants us to understand we can even eat the clean animals and we could be sinning against God. Some of us say, all right, well, I'm just going to be a vegetarian. I'm going to now go ahead and go total whole food, plant based. From now on, I'm going to eat tofu. Go to Proverbs 23. I got something for the tofu eaters. <laughs> Proverbs 23. I got something for the tofu eaters. Proverbs 23. I like this. Notice what the Bible says in Proverbs 23. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, starting at verse one, when thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee. Now watch this. It says, and put a knife to thy throat. Now, what does that language mean? Put a knife to your throat. Kill yourself. It doesn't mean just take a knife and just go ding, 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 you know, just like, oh, look at that. It's near my neck. When they say put a knife to your throat, he's saying kill yourself before you do this. So what is it that he's talking about? He says, and put a knife to thy throat if thou be a man, what? Controlled by appetite. You know, brothers and sisters, even when you make a decision to start eating good whole foods and eating good healthful foods, don't ever forget Christian Temperance Bible Hygiene, page 51, it says it is possible to eat immoderately even of wholesome food. It does not follow that because one has discarded the use of hurtful articles of diet. He can eat just as much as he pleases. Overeating, no matter what the quality of the food, clogs the living machine and thus hinders it in its work. Somebody says, wait a minute. Are you saying, Brother Lemon, that overeating is a sin? I understand it's not advisable, but is it a sin? I'm not saying anything. I'm just quoting. Go to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16, and let's answer that question. The Bible says in the book of Ezekiel, we're going to what chapter? Ezekiel, Ezekiel what chapter? 16. It's chapter 16. Notice what the Bible says in Ezekiel. We're looking at chapter 16. Could overeating be a sin? Notice what the Bible says. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 16 and verse 49. The Bible says... Behold, this was the iniquity. Now, what was it? Iniquity. Now, what's the effect of iniquity? As a side note, you can write down Isaiah 59 in verse 2, and it says your iniquities have separated between you and your God. So iniquity separates us from God. You cannot have salvation in iniquity. You understand that? Iniquity is that which separates us from God. So it impacts your salvation. So now look at verse 49. It says, behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Now, what's the first thing on the list that's called iniquity? Pride. Question. Can pride affect your salvation? Yes. Yes, Pride goes before a fall. What's the next thing on the list after pride? Fullness of what? Bread. Bread. Was the issue the fact that they were eating bad food? No. What was the issue? They were eating too much of it. It's called gluttony, overeating. The Bible says that when we overeat, that this is iniquity because it clouds the mind and it causes us to forget. You see, why does God give us such strict principles? The reason why is because so then with the mind I myself serve the what's the standard in the judgment the law of God and it's with the what that we serve or obey that law it's with what the mind so how you eat and how you drink has a direct impact upon the condition of the that's why God takes what you eat and drink so seriously and oh my friends there'll be people that'll tell you what you eat and drink has no bearing upon your salvation I will tell you that is an extra biblical statement That is not biblical. If I go to somebody, can I smoke cigarettes? Oh, no, 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 you can't do that. Oh, can I drink alcohol? Can I get drunk? Nope, you can't do that. But wait a minute. These are things that I'm putting inside of my system that have a negative impact on my mind. The problem is, is that because we don't study food and we don't study its impact, we neglect the fact that these things can truly negatively impact the function of our minds. And that's how we can make really, really bad decisions. Why do you think Moses said in Deuteronomy, was it, Deuteronomy 20:21 20, 21 or Deuteronomy 21:20? 20? It's, it's one of those two. And Moses said, if any of your children be a drunkard and a glutton, the instruction was literally, elders are to take those children, take them outside to a specified place and stone them to death. Why would God give such a strict rule It's because God understands when we do things that medicate and inebriate the mind, we open the gateway to do whatever Satan wants. And that's why God says, I want my people to control their appetite. There comes a point in time that we can prove by our indulgences that our bellies are our God's. Now, that's just one you remember commandment number two, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images, right? Bow down to the idols, you remember that? So the Bible clearly says, you remember this, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Well, again, when we look at this commandment, immediately we say, oh, I'm not like those bad Roman Catholics, they bowing down to images and bowing down to statues. We're not like them. We're not like those Buddhists going around bowing down to statues and all those things. We are not idolaters. But then when the Bible clearly tells us for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and then it says, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. God says, if you're stubborn, God says, I look at you the same as the one who bows down before the statue. How many of us are harboring a stubborn spirit? How many of us still today say, nobody can tell me what to do. I'm the boss of me. You can't tell me anything. Who do you think you are? How many of us still maintain an attitude that we feel no one has control over my life? I do. And I call the shots of what is good and bad and indifferent. I'm the one that will make the decisions. Some of us have erected an idol. We just forgot it was us. And we bow down to it every day. Stubbornness is an idol, my brothers and sisters. And some of us are almost proud of our stubbornness, not understanding if we're stubborn we cannot make it through the judgment, we cannot receive the latter rain, and we will not be sealed with the seal of the Living God. We cannot bring sin into this equation. And so when we talk about victory over sin, we're talking about victory over our appetites in the context of those who are slaves to unclean. Those who are slaves to the clean, but are eating it outside of what God says. Or even those who are plant based, but they're overeating and overindulging and still making themselves sick. And taking charge of what God purchased with his own blood. We have to understand this is sin. If we find that we're still stubborn and nobody could tell me anything, whether it be because of my age or because of my gender or whatever it is that makes us think that nobody can tell me anything. God says, if we have that kind of attitude, heaven records us as idolaters. And there is absolutely no difference between us and those who bow down to those images and kiss its feet. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus made some very plain statements about this. Jesus said, but I say unto you, that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, please understand. When it says, looketh on a woman to lust after her, it is not that when a man sees a woman inappropriately dressed and he sees her and he goes, oh, wow. And then he turns away and he says, all right, Lord, you know, help me not to look back there anymore. And he keeps it moving. That brother is called victorious. But when the brother sees the woman coming this way and he can already see the hourglass and he's staring her up and down as she's walking. She walks towards him and walks past him. And then all of a sudden he goes and looks back there. What's happening is he is looking and he is lusting. He's allowing his imagination to create some pictures in his head. And sometimes it gets to the point that the man's mind simply says she is so pretty and she is so, quote unquote, sexy or nice looking that if I could, I would. In the eyes of Jesus, when a man gets to that place in his imaginations, remember, he didn't touch anything. When a man gets to that place in his imaginations, he has looked upon that woman and lusted after her. And as a result of that, Jesus says, you just committed adultery. When Kim Kardashian, when Jennifer Lopez, when any of these women who are known as, quote unquote, sex symbols, when they show up on MSN and when it says Kim Kardashian is showing off her new bikini, And that brother takes his little mouse and goes, click. When he goes to that point and he says, click. And he clicks and he then says, all right, I'm seeing image number five, image number 10, image number 15. That man has just committed adultery. Certainly when they go to the pornographic websites, you see, When God wired our bodies, he wired our bodies. And I always teach this. Sex was not made for men and women. You can't read that anywhere in scripture. Sex was not made for men and women. That's not in the Bible. Sex was made for husbands and wives. That's all that you get in scripture. Now watch this. So, that means sexual pleasure was only, only, only to be experienced in the marriage covenant. When a man has sex with another woman that's not his wife, when a man has sex with another man, when a man has sex with an animal, or when a man has sex with himself, God says they all are a species of adultery. And so when we begin looking at this commandment, no wonder it was Job who said, I made a covenant with my eyes. How then should I look lustfully at a young woman? This is what God says he wants for all of us as his men. He says to his men. I need you to show thyself a man and I want you to show yourself as one who is under the control of my spirit. And so when it says see Kim Kardashian in her bathing suit while everybody else is clicking, you are passing. And it doesn't matter who the celebrity is, it doesn't matter. When those temptations come and those urges thrive in, that is when that young man begins to fall on his knees. Lord, help me. That's when he needs to get out of that room. That's when he may need to even surrender his iPhone and go back to a flip phone. Do you remember what we read earlier? Be the cost what it may. Do you remember that? Remember when it said that inspiration, volume one, uh, you know, page 187, where it says, be the cost the cost what it may. We must come up to every point. And so God says to the young men, he says, I need you to control yourself. Yes, these women have not been taught dress reform. Yes, there are very few who lead by a good godly example, but that is still not an excuse for us to go a-lusting and a-whoring after these precious daughters of God. But God also wants the daughters to understand something. You see, again, This commandment, the seventh commandment, look at this, ladies, because I'm especially talking to you now. This commandment forbids not only acts of impurity, but sensual thoughts and desires. Watch this. Or any practice that tends to excite them. Purity is demanded not only in the outward life, but in the secret intents and emotions of the heart. So notice any practice that excites sensual thoughts and desires. Sisters, if God is going to condemn a man for looking at a woman lustfully, then God is going to condemn the woman for dressing in a way that causes men to look at her and lust after her. When a woman wears clothing that excites sensual thought and sensual passions, heaven says that woman is sinning. That is a sin. Now watch this. What exactly am I talking about? I told you we're going to be very, very detailed. I want you to watch this. I thought about what picture can I use without causing excitement. You see, sisters, I need you to understand something. You're very powerful. Ladies, I'm letting you know up front. You're very powerful people, very powerful. And God knows it, but guess who also knows it? Satan chooses women for he can use them more successfully than he can men. That is Manuscript Release, Book 10, page 76, paragraph 2. Satan literally chooses sisters. He says, I'm going to choose women. He says, why? He says, because I can use them more successfully than I can even use men. You don't believe that? Ask Eve. He used Eve to get Adam. He used Delilah to get Samson. He used the Moabite women to get the children of Israel. The devil knows When a woman is under his control, especially if she's pretty, Satan says, I will use her to destroy many a men. And so, sisters, I'm sorry to tell you, you're a target. You are a bona fide target. I'm showing you from God's words of inspiration, from the testimony of Jesus. You are a target. Because brothers will compromise almost anything under the mystic spell of a woman and Satan knows this and it's for this reason sisters that that's why I'm telling you we're told Our words, our actions, and our dress are daily living preachers gathering with Christ or scattering abroad. This is no trivial matter to be passed off with a jest. The subject of dress demands serious reflection and much prayer. My brothers and sisters, we can't get away from this. Councils on Health, page 600. We have to understand, dress is not trivial. Right now, one of the saddest things happening among Seventh-day Adventist powerful present truth, preachers as well as teachers, as well as listeners and viewers, is when we get on Facebook, we show people stuff they have no business seeing. There is so much cleavage. There's so much backside. There's so much thigh. There's so much crotch. There's so much of the body that we're gladly posting on Facebook. Hey, look at me. We're at such and such a place and we're just at the beach or at whatever. Listen. That lady to my right right there, that's my bride. And I assure you, it is by the grace of God, you are going to continue to wonder at the mystery of that holy place. You will not know, by the grace of God, what the particulars of my wife looks like. My wife would tell you if she was standing here, you will not know what the particulars of my husband looks like. The body is to be seen by the ones who have made the covenant. It is not the average man or the average woman's business to know how we're built and how we're structured and our curves and all these things. That's none of their business. And sisters, listen, please do not act like you don't have any sense. When women get in the mirror, I'm sorry, I'm talking straight to you. When women get in the mirror, you look at yourself. You look at yourself. You know, you don't just look at yourself like this. You 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 look at, uh huh, uh huh. You, you're looking. You're paying attention. You're making sure hair looks right, fits it just right. Sometimes the cleavage is up and we pull it down. We know what we're doing. And God says, that's a sin. Allowing your body to be seen when you know it's going to excite sensual thought and sensual desires. God says, when you wear clothing like that, that's a sin. What are some clothing like that? You know this right here? What's that called? I had to use a mannequin. I was not going to use a real person. That caused too much problems. What's that called? That's a mini skirt. Is that right? Now, the woman who made the miniskirt, that's her right there, Mary Quant. Mary Quant is the one who is the originator of the miniskirt. And like much clothing that we see today, every designer has a philosophy. Every designer has a message behind their creation, just like God. When God created you and I, there was supposed to be a message behind the creation. We were made in the image and likeness of God. We were supposed to let the world know what God is like. And so it is that designers today, when they make their clothes, they have a mission behind their creation. Mary Kwan, she told us exactly what was the purpose of the miniskirt. She says, a woman is a sexual creature. She displays her sexuality instead of this coy business of hiding it. Today, she dresses to say, I am sexy, I like men, I enjoy life many clothes are symbolic of a woman who wants to seduce a man. She said, that's the message. When a woman wears a skirt that shows peaks of her thigh and all of her leg, and then when she sits down, it rises even higher. When she stands up, sometimes it hugs and accentuates the hip structure. She said, that was designed to communicate to a man, please have sex with me. Any garment that excites sensual thought or sensual desires is a species of adultery. And it is a sin for the daughter of God to wear such things. I told you this study is going to be very specific. Look at the statement she said right here. When asked What miniskirts will lead to, she answered with one word, sex. That's it. She made it clear that's what it's going to lead to. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'll I'll really be honest with you. You know we're in trouble. You know why we're in trouble? Because, brothers and sisters, it would be one thing if I'm walking the streets of Los Angeles and I see miniskirts to the left and right. I would say, oh, this is terrible, but I expect this. But what hurts is when you see that thing in the church. I mean, I've seen so many miniskirts and stilettos. Stilettos are often, those super high-heeled shoes are worn by prostitutes. Why do the prostitutes wear it? Because they know that when you stand, it's going to accentuate the calf and make the leg a very sexy feature. It also causes the back to arch in, which accentuates the backside. So, in other words, when a woman puts on the stilettos combined, especially with a miniskirt, it really communicates, please. Start thinking sexual thoughts. You might actually be a very kind, innocent young lady. Don't get me wrong. You see, go to Proverbs 7. Look at what the Bible says. Watch this. Proverbs 7. If you look at Proverbs, the seventh chapter, the Bible says it like this. And I I think this is very important for us to consider. Proverbs, we're looking at the seventh chapter, and I want you to watch what the Bible says because it's ever so important. Proverbs 7, and I want you to see what the text says right there in verse 10. Proverbs 7, and we're looking at verse 10. The Bible says, if you're there, please say amen. Amen. All right. The Bible says in Proverbs 7 and verse 10, it says, and behold, there met him a woman with the what? Attire of an harlot. Notice what was referenced to harlotry. Was it the woman's personality? Was it the woman's behavior? No, it was her what? Attire. You see, God knows that clothing can communicate. That's why he put it in the word. Clothing sends a message. The servant of the Lord says our characters are judged by our style of dress. And so what God is saying is that we need to understand when we wear certain clothing, it's going to make a statement. I got two black boys. I am not. Number one, I think it looks ridiculous. But outside of that, I am not going to let my sons wear their pants hanging off their backside. Oversized hoodie. Timberland boots and a baseball cap turned sideways, and especially walking like this. I'm not going to let my sons do that. You know why? Because if I let my sons do that, their character is going to be judged by their style of dress. And there are many people that's going to begin to probe them, watch them, and even sometimes the ones with the legal right, they're going to pull them over and harass them, even though good boys. What I'm saying to you, sisters, is that some of you, and please understand, sisters, in John chapter 3 and verse 19, it says this is condemnation, that light is come, and men love darkness rather than light. Today, I'm showing things that some of us are saying, wow, this brother just showed me that my belly is my God. Wow, he just showed me that my clothing is adulterous, or whatever the case may be. I want to let you know you are so not condemned. The Bible says this is condemnation. Light is coming to the world and men loved darkness rather than light. In other words, if you're hearing some things today and you're saying, wow, I didn't know that. Never looked at it like that. I'm convicted. You are not condemned. You're blessed. And what God is saying is he's saying, hey, follow on. Walk in the light as I'm in the light. But if next week you still show up in your miniskirt. If next week you're still showing up and you're still allowing your belly to govern you and all these things. Oh, yes, you have much to fear. You have much to fear. God wants to make this thing plain. We cannot keep doing this. And I'm telling you right now, it damages some of y'all ministries. I'm going to tell you right now. There are ministers right now. And some of them, and you know, it it hurts to see it because, you know, I see a lot and I stay silent nine times out of ten. I'm like, man, they shouldn't be doing that. Man, if my daughters are going through problems with their dress, my wife or whatever, I'll sooner just say, hey, let's pull back, lay low. Maybe I'll pull back from ministry. Let me regroup. Let me go ahead and give some more attention to my family. Let's see what we can do. But what I'm not going to do is let my wife or my children in rebellion just start coming up before the saints. And here I am looking all clean and crisp and, and proper. And my wife or my children are dressed in ways that is flat out disrespectful to the gospel. Just disrespectful to the gospel. Sisters, I'm sorry. Tight jeans does not belong on you as God's people. You're showing your crotch. People can literally see the crotch when you wear your tight jeans. They see the full accentuation of your backside. They see the full accentuation of your hips. Often the sisters will wear these shirts that are so tight it reveals the curvature and shows how big their breasts are. My sisters, that stuff causes sensual thought. It excites sensual desires and passions. That type of garment is a sin. You should not be wearing those things. You're going to cause distraction. Brothers praying, Lord, lead me not into temptation, come to church, and they're being led into temptation by the servants of the Most High. You got to figure something else out. You can't keep wearing these clothing that attracts. You have no idea how many men struggle with perversions. If you knew how many brothers are struggling with deep-rooted perversions while they're giving Bible studies. While they're telling everybody about Jesus, they got demons in their heart that they have not gotten victory over those sensual, passionate demons. And then they come to church, and then they're hoping, oh, Lord, help my mind to stay focused that I can get a picture of you. And here goes the sister coming up in her mini skirt, her stilettos, tight-fitting clothing, and then she's singing and moving her body side to side. And that brother is saying, Lord, I can't hear a single word because I'm focused on her body and I'm thinking about my weakness. This is real talk. I'm giving you real talk. And some of you parents in the room, you need to have sweet talks with your children. Let them know, honey. Listen, we got to take heed to the word of God. We can't keep dressing like this and doing like this. Brothers, we got to know. Listen, brothers, there's a message for you too. Huh? Brothers, once obese, once was skinny, now all of a sudden, they get a little body, and all of a sudden, they zip in their jackets a little lower. All of a sudden, they're wearing all the tight muscle T-shirts. My brothers, this causes sensual thought. This excites passions. If you're blessed with muscles, hide it and wait for your wife. You understand that? Hide it. Hide it. This is real talk. Notice. Muscle and Fitness Magazine. Women show a stronger attraction toward men with a figure consistent with the ideal hunting physique. It says strong shoulders, narrow waist, and broad chest and shoulders. Women prefer a man to be toned, but not brawny and bulked out to the max. That's this. That's what I'm telling you. God says, no, if you got that body, you need to cover it. That's, I, I got enough respect for my brother-in-law, has a magnificent physique. I mean, he has a physique that would make women drool. My brother-in-law, when he gets around people, covers up. You can't help but to notice it to a degree. I mean, when, he, when the guy's just walking like this, you can't help but to notice, okay, that's a big guy. He's working out. But he's not letting everybody see all the six-pack and and all the, the, the lines. He's not letting everybody see. He understands that vision belongs to my wife. He understands that. And so what God is saying is he says, listen... I don't want my people committing adultery. And listen, you know, you pray for your ministers. Don't make it a moment to attack. What I'm saying to you is that we all need to take heed to this. We all just got to get to a point to say, look, I cannot represent Jesus, especially his present truth, his last day message. And here we are coming before the saints showing off our bodies. We just can't do that, family. It's going to work against us, not for us. Many of us have conferences and all these things. And listen to me, y'all got these young women that are there signing people up, welcome to that and so and da, da, da. Make sure they dress better. Make sure they dress in ways that can, that can glorify God and not cause people to look at them with sensual thought and exciting sensual passions. Really, I'm serious. I have no condemnation. I assure you, I'm a man worthy of condemnation. I love you enough to tell you this without condemning. I'm just telling you. I'm just letting you know because I really believe this is our crisis hour right now. We are not spelling it out. And as a result of that, year after year, event after event, and all the powerful preaching in the world, and we're still dressing the same. Something's wrong with that. Somebody's not studying. Somebody's not paying attention. We keep reading the same stuff over. Maybe you're not reading the other side of the testimonies. We got to get to a point that if we're going to do it, all of it. All of it. I call this simply form-fitting clothing. We talked about it. Be careful of form-fitting clothing, saints. Be careful. Remember, the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. It forbids overreaching in trade. It requires the payment of just debts or wages. If any of you owe a company right now, and you made the agreement, you intelligently went into the deal, and if you made the agreement with the company, I will pay you on the first or the 15th of every month. If you made that agreement, you intelligently walked in the situation and you have the money to pay it. But it might mean that you have to make some sacrifices on other areas of your lifestyle. If you don't pay those just debts, the Bible says you're a thief. The Bible says I'm a thief. Some of us are dodging bills, got collectors calling us all the time. And what God is saying is, I'm trying to send you a message of mercy. You need to let those collectors know, I will pay my just debt. Stop dodging your collectors. You made the debt, pay it. You made it, pay it. You might have to get an extra job. You might have to work a few extra hours. Pay your debts. If it's a just debt, you've got to pay it. If you don't, you're stealing. And that's a sin. And so it says, it forbids overreaching in trade and requires the payment of just debts or wages. Oh, please, if you're a business owner of any kind, you make sure you pay your employees. If anything, let you and your home suffer, but don't you let your employees suffer. Be like Jesus. Take the hit yourself and bless and benefit the others. But if they worked hard for you, pay them their wages. It says... It declares that every attempt to advantage oneself by the ignorance, weakness or misfortune of another is registered as fraud in the books of heaven. That's why gambling is a sin. Gambling is a sin because it always attempts to take advantage of people who are ignorant, weak or some misfortune of theirs, but gain for us. That's why gambling is a sin. And that's why God's people should not be involved in gambling. It's all a species of thou shalt not steal. But watch this. How do you think those two people feel about each other? How do you think they feel? Happy? I think they're a little more than happy. What do you think about that image? Oh, I heard somebody say it. it begins with the letter F. Flirting. Flirting flirting. Now watch this. Now you need to listen to this. Now watch this. Thou shalt not steal was written by the finger of God upon the tables of stone. Watch this. Yet how much underhand stealing of affections is practiced and excused. A deceptive courtship is maintained. Private communications are kept up until the affections of one who is inexperienced and knows not whereunto these things may grow are in a measure withdrawn from her parents and placed upon him who shows by the very course he pursues that he is unworthy of her love. The Bible condemns every species of dishonesty. Sons and daughters of God Page 63, paragraph four. What I want you to understand, family, is God takes this thing very, very seriously. The standard in the judgment is his law. And sometimes when we look at just those 10 commandments, we say, oh, yes, you know, I don't have another God. I don't have idols. I don't have any of these things. But we learned that God's commandments are exceeding what? They're broad. They're deeper than what they appear. God does not show that to us to discourage us. As I told you, He's going to bring the test closer and closer because He wants to wash away all of our sins. He wants to present us completely clean. You see, look at this very exciting quote as we close I saw that none could share the refreshing. Unless they obtain the victory over how many besetments? Every besetment over pride, selfishness, love of the world, and over every wrong word and action. We should therefore be drawing nearer and nearer to the Lord and be earnestly seeking that preparation necessary to enable us to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. Let all remember that God is holy and that none but holy beings can ever dwell in his presence. Early writings, page 71, paragraph 2. God says, I gave you this message because I want to fit you for the latter rain and for translation. And so, my brothers and sisters, God says, I want you to consider these things. Now, here's the secret. You'll never change for a man you neither know nor love. You won't do it. And if you do it, it'll be temporal. What God wants for you and what he wants for me is he wants us to understand, I want you to win. I want you to make it. I want you to overcome as I overcame. But this will only happen when you get to know me as it is your privilege to know me. My brothers and sisters, what I want to encourage you to do is you need to get to know Jesus. Get to know him in such a way that a love will be produced that will make these things we study today easy. You will find I love to please my wife. I actually find tremendous enjoyment pleasing my bride. I really do. When she lets me know anything that makes her happy, as long as it's moral, legal, and ethical, I will do what I can to provide it for my wife because I love to please my wife. And we are fitting to marry God. There's a wedding he's preparing us for. And he loves to love on us because he's already shown us his love. But now as his bride, we get to show back our love to him. And Jesus says, I don't want you to do a lot of gifts and gimmicks and all these things. Jesus said very simply, if you love me, just keep my commandments you keep my commandments let me dwell in your heart and give you real power that you can obey every single thing that we study today and i believe with all of my heart god will give you victory because as we overcome every besetment, pride selfishness love of the world And every wrong word and every wrong action. When we get victory over this, God says they are ready to receive my reign and give my loud cry. And there's too many patriarchs, prophets, apostles and the blood of Jesus himself that has been spilled to compromise this standard. God is not going to dumb down this standard to save any of us. What he's going to do is say, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn my humility. And I will give you power. I will give you power to do whatever I say. Question, how many of you understood the study? Did you understand it? How many of you, by the grace of God, are willing To say, oh, Lord, you've shown me some startling things today. and There's some cleanup that I need to do. But as long as you're with me, Lord, I will cooperate with what you have shown me today. If you're willing to cooperate with God, and today's a brand new day, please so signify by standing to your feet. And I'm serious. If you're going to cooperate with God, stand to your feet. If you're not going to cooperate, please remain seated. If you're going to cooperate, stand to your feet, brothers and sisters. Stand to your feet. You're going to cooperate with him. And you will find that God's going to bless you. He's going to bless you beyond your expectations. Praise God. Let us seal our decisions with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your wonderful words of life. We thank you, Lord, that you have tested us a little closer because your desire is truly to save us. And I thank you, oh God, I know the hour's late, I wanted so desperately to finish earlier, but I know not how to stop. And yet give your people what they needed. So I pray that if this has caused any agitation, that you would please put forgiveness in the hearts of those who are agitated. But Lord, I believe this message was so necessary. And Father, I'm just praying that what has been said here will not fall on deaf ears not merely to those of us that are here they're standing they made their decision but if this goes on the internet and goes out to the rest of the world Lord please let every brother and sister who hears this take heed to the counsels of God and may we all climb just a little bit higher upon Jacob's ladder ultimately to see thee face to face this is our prayer that we do ask in Jesus name Amen